everybody. This is David Avocado-Wolf, and I am joined by Marianne Williamson. She is an internationally acclaimed author. She's a lecturer and really a thought leader on the planet today. Six of her 10 published books have been New York Times bestsellers. She's written books that include her mega bestseller, A Return to Love, one of my favorites, The Age of Miracles, Everyday Grace, A Woman's Worth, Illuminata, The Gift of Change, and The Law of Divine Compensation. She's taught numerous seminars. I mean, she's been as busy, I think, as me, probably busier, ranging on the topics of relationships to health to healing. So welcome, Marianne. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, Marianne is going to be joining us at the Women's Wellness Conference, which is coming up quickly, and it will be a sellout. So if you have not made it a part of your plan, you can still get there. It's still possible to be a part of this event. We're moving to the biggest room in the facility where we're going to have the event, which is the Orange County Hilton in Costa Mesa, California. All the details are womenswellnessconference.com. The dates are September 19 through 21, 2014. Again, that's the weekend of September 19 through 21, 2014. I'll be doing a bonus day on the Monday. And then Marianne Williamson is going to be doing not just the Women's Wellness Conference. She's also going to be hosting an event of her own called Creating a Career That Matters the very next weekend. So if you're coming to Los Angeles and you're going to plan to stay for a while, you could actually attend her other event, which is going to be Creating a Career That Matters. Marianne, quickly, just tell us about your your upcoming event as well, just on the heels of the Women's Wellness Conference. Well, you know, I think that there are two basic existential questions that we all ask ourselves, and that's, who am I really, and what am I here to do? And I think we all are uh, deep in our hearts, want to feel that we do something that matters. And I think that's one of the ways that we convince ourselves that we matter, is by doing something that matters. But I think a lot of times our work in the world does not uh, feel aligned with the the work that our soul feels moved to do. And so this idea of aligning what we do in the world with what on some soul level we feel uh, we're here to do, that we're here at this lifetime to do, and that's what this weekend will be dedicated to. If you don't have a career uh, that you feel matches your highest hopes, but also if you already have one and you feel that it's not aligned with that deepest truth, um, that's what this weekend is for, really excavating, um, digging deep inside ourselves. What are the barriers to what would otherwise be an automatic uh, rise to that highest level of light and possibility? So that's what that weekend will be, and I think it will be transformative on many levels. Awesome. Now, that's for all ages as well. You know, we like to have everybody's Women's Wellness Conference. Mostly women attend, but men are welcome as well. Um, for your event, it's because I find that that question comes up for people who are 19 and folks who are 70. Yeah. I mean, I, as long as you're here, there's a reason for you to still be here, and there is something for you to do. Um, I don't think that the work of the soul has anything to do with age or has anything to do with gender. Is there a website? How do how do people find out about creating a career that matters in that event for that weekend? People can go to Marianne.com. Um, you can also go to my Facebook page, but uh, Marianne.com will send you to the registration page. Uh, that will be the weekend of 26, 27, and 28. And if people can't be here in Los Angeles, of course, they can live stream it. 
Awesome. Okay, so let's let's jump into a little bit about what we're going to be talking about at Women's Wellness the weekend before. You've been such an incredible advocate for women's wellness all the years that I've known about you, and you've been such an incredible advocate of getting people past that struggle, that constant struggle to uh, body image issues, losing weight, staying healthy, going back and forth in these kind of extremes. What are some of the psychological or spiritual factors that you think are involved in in that kind of thing and like dealing with body image issues, yo-yoing back and forth. And what's your advice for people who are in that situation? I think the key to having a healthy relationship to our bodies is knowing that we are not our bodies. It's counterintuitive, but you're most comfortable in your skin when you know that you're not your skin. You're most comfortable in your skin when you realize your body is just a suit of clothes, that the real you did not begin at your physical birth, but just continued at your physical birth, does not end at your physical death, just continues at your physical death. When we begin to identify with our spirits rather than our bodies, that's when we're lifted above the attachment to the body, which is our biggest stress around it. And the body is, like everything else, already programmed to be in perfect alignment with our spirit's purpose when we ourselves are in alignment with our spirit's purpose. So if I know that I'm a spirit and that my body, imagine that you are wearing a suit of clothes which is so expensive it's priceless, would you not take care of it? (laughs) Would you not glory in it? Would you not take joy in it? And at the same time, would you not take care of it and also be less attached to the time when it will be time to take off the suit of clothes. So I think that the the spiritual perspective, once again, which is that you are not your body, is the healthiest um, perspective we have. Then you want it to be healthy because you want it to support your divine purpose on the earth. You want to take care of it because you want to show gratitude and honor to that which supports your purposes on this earth. And also because you're not over-identifying with it, you're not over-attached to it, you can yourself take greater pleasure in it. And I think allow other people to take greater pleasure in it as well. I'm going to ask you a tough question because it's something that comes up. I, I pick it up in audiences relatively recently. It's come up a few times. There's a kind of an atheism that runs through our civilization, like a disconnection from the idea that we're a spirit having a human experience. How do you address that kind of materialism? Well, I think most people would not call themselves um, atheists. I think they would call themselves agnostic if they really looked into the definition. They feel there's something, they just don't know what it is. And I, mm-hmm. I believe that so much of organized religious institutions have really done a number on on the Western mind so that a lot of people are so turned off to the doctrines and the dogmas of, the, of the, in many cases, their childhood. Now, I also think that a lot of people are now realizing that with rejecting the institutionalized religious uh, doctrines that they sometimes feel, but I threw away the baby with the bathwater. So they want the spiritual piece back. They just don't want all the rules and the doctrine and the dogma, but they want the principles. And that's where books like A Course in Miracles comes in. And if you look at the at the popularity of this larger non-denominational spiritual conversation, such as my books and that of so many others, I think it shows a real hunger that people have for a new which is really an ancient spiritual perspective that is not bogged down by elements of guilt and rulemaking, which they feel in their hearts can't possibly be the love of God. I love your connection to A Course in Miracles. I mean, that's that you were the one who turned me on to A Course in Miracles. If it wasn't for you, I never would have heard about it. And there's some things in A Course in Miracles, I think one of my favorites is, um, what was it? It's 
infinite patience is the only thing that gets immediate results. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. What are some of your favorites? Yeah, that is a great one. I, uh, infinite, only infinite patience produces immediate results. I had forgotten that one myself. Oh, gosh, what are, are, are my favorites? Of course, the miracle says these principles become uh, habits, mental habits in your problem-solving repertoire. Um, sentences like, in my defenselessness, my safety lies. Uh, you create what you defend against. Anything not love is a call for love. Uh, love, uh, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. These are all, <laughs> these, these are the kinds of sentences which, you know, you can spend your whole day dwelling on when practical situations come up. And that's what I love about the Course in Miracles, that it is metaphysical material with preeminently practical application. And that, that's where these ideas become powerful when they're not just intellectual construct, but when you actually apply them to your everyday circumstances. That's when your life becomes ablaze with power and, and peace and, and, and love that otherwise remains always on the horizon but never actually embraced and experienced. Let's bring it back to what, what we talk about a lot in our conferences, and, and that is our connection to food. What, how, what would, what's your advice to maintain a healthy relationship with food? Well, I think that we are realizing in this country that something pretty rotten has happened over the last few decades. And it goes along with everything else that's happened in, in our society where we have put a short-term economic gain uh, before humanitarian values. And as a consequence, we've basically wrecked farming in the United States. We've, everything's become big agribusiness and big chemical companies. And because of that, we have the GMOs, we have the gluten, we have so much that we are now coming to understand has at best made us more fatigued than we might be and at worst has really contributed to actual disease. So I think, number one, there's an awakening to that. And for that reason alone, we're all trying to be more conscious about food. Remember, what we, what you and I talk today and talk about being more conscious about food is what people 100 years ago didn't even have to be conscious about it. It was just the food. You know what I mean? Right. Nobody yep. needed to be conscious because the society was conscious because it was the earth as God created it. And this has many many very serious and sobering elements to it, including the fact that you have to have the final financial resources just even to be conscious about food. Um, so this is a this is a very, very serious issue. Food, it's interesting because I think a lot of people have been disengaged politically, disengaged socially, haven't, you know, wanted to look at what's going on, you know, a lot of so called this kind of counterfeit spirituality that, you know, we're too we're too we're too cool to be involved in politics, you know, it's like we're too spiritual. Well, food has actually become one of the ways that a lot of people have found themselves entering um, what's really going on with the issue of GMOs, for instance. Because That's a great point. That's yeah, a good point. I mean, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that this is what's been happening. Oh, really? Well, glad you woke up, you know, because these, these public problems ultimately become private. You know, it's always going to, if, if it's wrong in the society, it will get to your door. And so food is one of the ways I think a lot of people are uh, uh, waking uh, waking up to what happens when you just sell off your, your society to uh, those who can turn everything into the dollar rather than the ethical, you know, the pursuit of a, of a, of a more righteous life. So I think between the, the GMOs, uh, the condition of the air, uh, the environmental quality, uh, you know, there's so many ways in the world today that you have to work hard just to stay in place. 
It's not even about fighting off disease. It's not even about embracing health. It's about recognizing some of the ways that this is more work than it should have to be. And I think that this is turning us, it, it's having a, uh, a positive effect in that I think it is awakening so many people to the fact that you cannot just deal with these things privately. You can, you know, can try all you want to, to live a more conscious life around food or more conscious life about your environment, but ultimately you will be impacted. Uh, by the collective, by the by the public issues having to do with the state of the environment and so forth. So I think we're all uh, growing up a little uh, and, and recognizing that you can't just ultimately turn your life around. We're going to have to turn the planet around. We're going to have to turn the country around in order to become citizens of the planet. Um, and I think that that all of this is awakening. I don't think it's an easy time to be alive if you're deeply uh, sober and mature. Health should be placed before. I mean, if you look at so many things going on in our society where somebody's ability to make money is absolutely placed before your and my reasonable guarantee of health. health. Uh, somebody's that's that's really true. It's placed before a reasonable guarantee that our children uh, will be more healthy. So I think that we we need to take a stand. I think that the, the the real wellness conversation today is like everything else that's really important today, not just about me, it's about we. So I think the whole food movement is great. I think the GMO movement is great and and all of these other uh, other issues, you know, there are many things which by now we simply know uh, about exercise and about uh, about taking care of your body. But once again, I can exercise all day, but if I'm walking outside and the air is too toxic, good luck on that on that pursuit of health. Good point. Now let's let's talk a little bit about. I mean, this is whenever we get into these food issues or even political issues. It's like, you know, you got the banksters, big brother corporations, you, you know, this, this complete disconnect from the, it's like a tragedy of the commons, right? For the taking First of the all, common I, I really thing. want to acknowledge that's a fantastic phrase. Tragedy of the commons. That's beautiful, David. Thank you for that. I, I'm right going to tell you, but I'm going to have to use that. That's a, that's a, that one came, that was from college years. <laughs> but that's this, good, this idea of the, of the tragedy of the commons mm-hmm. where, you know, the thing that's common to us, like the air and the water resources mm-hmm. just being abused by what feels like a very male-dominated, hierarchical, you know, bankster funding, big corporation, you know, with the politics being the kind of the puppets in front of it all. Um, how are we going to, how, how do we bring more of the feminine side into that? And how does that change things? How do you see that? Well, first of all, I, I don't see that the, the, the bankster and the big brother corporation issue. I, I, I do not see that as gender based. Um, I, I, I just, I do think that when you look at our political realm, it is more likely that when women are in power, uh, that they vote more to take care of the children and all of that kind of thing. But but still, I, I think it's probably um, not helpful for any of us to think that that's just about um, men being in power. You know, women have a lot of power that we do not use. So I think for a lot of women uh, living in our society today, our issue is not taken away from us by men. Our, our power is just not exercised. Um, for instance, if you look at how many women live in the United States, um, our financial power, our electoral power, things would be different in a second if we actually voted. Things would be different in a second if we actually stood up uh, for the things in our hearts we know we should be standing up for. You know, in any advanced mammalian species uh, that survives and thrives, a common anthropological characteristic is the fierce behavior of the adult female when she senses that there is a threat to her cubs. 
You see this among uh, tigers and li- you know lions. Uh, among the um, hyenas, I, I just think this is fascinating. Hyenas are a female dominant species, and among the uh, adult female hyenas, what they will do is they will encircle the cubs while they're feeding, and it will not allow. Uh, the adult males to get anywhere near the food until the babies have been fed. Now, I always think to myself, surely the women of Western civilization could do better uh, than the hyenas. But, you know, I'd have to ask any woman listening to this call right now, when was the last time we even gave a thought uh, to the fact that 17,000 children starve on this planet every day? And here in the United States, uh, we have the second highest child poverty rate uh, in the advanced world. One in five American children are food insecure. So, you know, we, we can talk all we want about the power that, you know, uh, that, that men, uh, whatever. It's becoming very old-fashioned to me to even go there. But what to me should be the conversation of the moment is what are we doing? Because if American women just all together now said, no, this stuff stops, and it stops now, then this world would change in a minute. Fantastic. All right, for everybody who's just joined us or if you're just tuning in, I'm David Wolf. I'm speaking with uh, an acclaimed author, one of my favorite public speakers, Marianne Williamson, who's going to be joining us at the Women's Wellness Conference. And you are going to be in the Southern California area that weekend, September 19th through 21st, even with a little extra day on the 22nd. Please come down and join us at the Orange County Hilton. And then Marianne is going to be doing a weekend after on a really great subject. It's a subject that people ask me about at almost every single event. And her event is called Creating a Career That Matters. In terms of your event, what I will be talking about is spiritual health. I think we do spiritual exercise just like we do physical exercise. And if you do it, it works. You know, whether you're talking about the state of your mind and your spirit or you were talking about the state of your body. If you're not working out your exercise, your, your muscles, if you're not working your muscles after a certain age, whether it's your thought forms or your physical muscles, if you are not working on keeping them up, they're headed down. And the same thing with thought forms. There's a gravity on this planet. Not only physical gravity, pulling down the physical muscles and weakening the physical muscles, but there's an emotional gravity. And the kind of things that you and I were talking about earlier, there's a kind of psychological gravity. And we need to, to make a stand physically, just like we need to take a stand uh, spiritually and emotionally and psychologically for the thoughts of upliftment. And we need to do it on a daily basis, just like physical exercise. You never get to a point where you like the way your body looks so you don't have to exercise anymore. The same with meditation. It's about daily tending. We tend to our bodies and with nourishment as well. You tend to your physical nourishment and we tend to our emotional nourishment. And just like you and I were talking about the toxicity in the air, in the physical environment, my goodness, you turn on television today, turn on the computer, look at the movies, the the elements of violence, the assaults of modernity, the bad news that's everywhere. So it's a, it's a parallel um, phenomenon where we have to cultivate emotional, psychological, and spiritual health in the same way that we cultivate physical health. And they go together. Because if you don't cultivate the, ex, the emotional, psychological, and spiritual health, then it's going to be real difficult to hold on to your physical health. But I also think the physical health and tending to that of the body is necessary in order to really contain all the other beautiful work we can do. You know, if I can meditate and forgive and do all those things, it's still going to be harder to stand in that space 
if my body is weak and untended to. So I'm going to be talking about the divine alignment of a body and soul. That's at your event, if that sounds okay with you. Unless you that, sounds, that, sounds, ah, that sounds great. <laughs> okay. And then at, at my event a week later, I'll be talking about, okay, when we are in this state, what do we then do? How do we best serve the world? And how does our daily work and our career, as yours does, David, be something which causes me happiness, brings me abundance, but also is the highest contribution I can make to the world because ultimately they're the same thing. And more details are available. I think you're at Marianne.com. Do you want to spell that out for us? Absolutely. M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E. I detect, I'm not sure, I, I've never picked up in your bio anywhere, Marianne, where you're from, but I detect a little bit of a Missouri accent. No, Houston, Texas. I can Houston, talk like okay, this so. if you want me to, David. Anytime you want me to, I can go like this. All right. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I love Houston, the Southern drawl. Beautiful. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. And we are excited to see you at Women's Wellness, and then I'm excited to see you at your next event the next weekend, creating a career that matters. And they'll both be in the Los Angeles area. So if you're going to be in L.A., uh, to everybody listening right now, come down and join us. We're going to have a great empowering about 10 or 11 days together in the Los Angeles area. Thanks so much, Marianne. I hope you have the best day ever, and we'll see you soon. Right back at you, David. Thank you so much. 